Welcome back to Quantum Leap, the podcast that explores how we achieve new heights in leadership business in our lives. I'm David Wolf here, as always, with the Quantum Leap Catalyst. He is Terry Ostroviak. Terry, always good to be with you. Right to be with you, David. It's, it's all such a journey. I, I, I just, uh, I'm excited about today's topic. It, it, uh, of course, this is episode six, moving uh, now for, into a world we call, or someone famous calls, consciously creating circumstances. Of course, last week we talked about doing the things that failures don't like to do in order to create success, right? That's what we did with, Al- with Albert Ian Gray's book on the common denominator of success. And today we can talk about consciously creating circumstances. Um, I'm not going get, to get, get into the real spiritual depth of, of, of what he wrote. It's a small book. Uh, it's a booklet, in fact, but it made a huge impact on me. And the reason was because I had a colleague in Durban, South Africa, which is on the uh, on the east coast of South Africa, mm-hmm. and um, he had a remote. Th- this little booklet meant a great deal to him, and he told me a, great, a lot about it. His name was he, unfortunately he's not alive anymore, but he was a dear friend, Tony Stemp, S T E M P, and Tony actually really believed that this principle was going to make a difference to his life, and it did. And I'll tell you why, because we were running a business of getting, if I can be crude about it, it's, it's in the training business and selling people into, the, into courses, the idea was to make sure that we got butts on seats. And many, many people across the world running Dale Carnegie courses in those early days and probably, yes, mainly in those early days because today the method of marketing is completely different. Mm -hmm. But in those days, he used to advertise a great deal in in local newspapers and uh, put out, I mean, there was no social media in those early days. Sure. And in order to be running a successful business, the important thing was to make sure that the course started with full numbers. It's almost like an airplane with all the seats filled. Once the doors are closed and the flight is uh, and the plane is in flight, there's nothing you can do about it. You're stuck with it. Hmm. And uh, he decided that he was only going to run full, full classes. And a full class would be 44 people on a course. And it was amazing how many times people all over the world were running classes with maybe 20 or 30 or 40 people on them, Mm -hmm. uh, but not necessarily completely full. And we wondered how he was able to do this constantly and consistently. And he said, it's because of me purposefully going out and creating the circumstances that I want. George Bernard Shaw once said, what the heck are you doing under the circumstances? People use this phrase a lot. Yes. He said, why are we not going out there and creating our own circumstances? And so when we talk about quantum leap, that's really what we're talking about is creating the circumstances that are right for us. So it starts off with an intuition as to what we want to do. And he would would purposefully... uh, Imagine in his mind, he would picture it. He would actually go through the steps that he needed to take in order to make sure that his classes were always full. And when the class started, it was a profitable class. And it wasn't just 
um, you know, well, that's the way circumstances were that particular month. That's what we're going to do and just go with it and compromise. Mm -hmm. There was nothing about taking the least line of resistance in what he was doing. He never, ever thought like that. He thought about what was the most effort that I could make to ensure that the goal was being achieved. So he started from the most effort type of an idea. There was never a doubt. There was never a succumbing to the environment or circumstances. But I'm I'm curious if, I mean, circumstances are circumstances. And as hard as one any of us could work, isn't it true that you may not get there all the way, certainly in the beginning of this process? And if that if that's true, then what would he have done in that? And I'm sorry, it's a bit of a tangent, but I, I had to ask the question because those who are listening who may be slightly skeptical about this might have the same question. So, Well, that's the reason that I'm giving this specific example right now. Perfect. And, and because, because what he did was he created an aura around the number 44, which incidentally is, is not a lucky number in China, funnily enough. <laughs> I found out oh. by accident. But nevertheless, for him, that number was absolute. Was an absolute. It wasn't a choice. It was the way that he was going to run his business, and so he may he may have run smaller numbers of classes, but his classes were full, and he he did everything in his power to ensure that all the little circumstances that occurred that that were in his power to do that, he would do those things. It's a series of consistently doing small things that eventually lead up to the eventual goal without compromise. That really was the idea behind it. And there were a few occasions where maybe he didn't reach the goal. But, you know, it's funny that that we say this. I'm a a very keen rugby player. Enthusiast, not that I'm playing at the moment, but my dad gave up rugby at the age of 37 um, to start mm-hmm. playing tennis. And mm-hmm. so I was kind of brought up with rugby. And just recently, um, I was watching games in, 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 the U- in, in England, in the UK, and I watched some of the kickers kicking for the posts. And I could see them, and they would look at the goal post first, then they would look down at the ball, then they would look at the goal post again. And then they would picture the ball going through. You could actually see their eyes moving from the goalpost slowly, very slowly, back to the back to the ball. Mm. So they were imagining the ball in flight. And then only once they had gone through that process would they then kick. And those people that, that did that seemed to have more success than others who just got down and said, well, let's kick this ball and see whether it goes through the posts. Absolutely amazing that they do that. When I look, when I watch golf today, I listen to Nick Faldo, who was really one of the superstars in, in golf for many years, an English uh, golfer, talking the whole time. Imagine the ball going into the hole before you putt it. Yes, and this is what he would do. So, when we talk about consciously creating circumstances, it's the principle that I use constantly in my coaching. Number one. The first thing we do is we access our intuition. What is our little voice telling us to do? Second of all, we verbalize it to somebody. Maybe it comes in a conversation. People ask me, how do you prepare for stuff? Even you asked me the other day, how do I manage to be so fluent in what I do? Yes. Well, I had to sit back and sort of examine it. Basically, what I do is in lots of conversations that I have with people, sometimes with my wife, sometimes with just people in general, 
They'll ask me what do I think about something, and that becomes the subject of the preparation for the next talk that I'm going to give. So I'm doing the I'm doing the stuff, but I'm verbalizing it to somebody, and I'm getting feedback, and I'm making adjustments. And then the third step is to document exactly what it is that I was thinking so that I don't lose that moment. And then that becomes the reality. In sport, imagine the ball going in the hole. In rugby, watch the ball or imagine the ball going through the posts. In my Dale Carnegie business in those years as well, we started to work on ensuring that every class started at its maximum not half full because we compromised on it because we didn't do the little things that were needed to make sure that that goal was reached. And so Tony was an inspiration for me and sort of guided me on that. And one of the things that I did was I made a point of ensuring that over 90% of the people coming onto our classes graduated from it. In other words, met criteria like the numbers of sessions that they attended and if they missed sessions because of some circumstance, I actually had a backup program to ensure that they would come back on following classes. I had one instructor with me. The moment, in fact, he's still around. I talked to him. He's, he's of Swiss descent. He lives in Basel today. His name is Roger Dietica. And Roger, when he finished one of his classes, he, and, and he was a, a businessman, but part-time teaching Dale Carnegie classes, he would say to me, Terry, I've just completed my class. There were two or three people that didn't graduate. What classes can they go into to fulfill the original goal? And he would follow them up and make sure that they did that. And so I set up a mechanism in my programs and in my business to ensure that people followed through on the things that they were doing. I was listening to a tape a little while ago, just before you called, of Steven Spielberg talking at Harvard in a, in a commencement address. Wow. And uh, yeah, and he said that although he believes that the children, if they get the opportunities, should definitely go through university training, he gave up in the middle somewhere and went into filming and didn't do his degree. He said, "How can I now, with seven children?" He said he has, tell them that they've got a complete university if I haven't done it myself. He said, "What happened to walking the walk and talking the talk?" So he went back at the age of 50 to complete his degree. So he might not have done it in the time frame that was expected, but he did it in order to make sure that, you know, that, that, that he could talk to his children and be, have integrity and, and, and tell them something that he really believed in, not yes. just talk to he's, he's a river person. I understand the phenomenon of just moving into what you do as opposed to getting the degree. That's fascinating. So he went back and did it at 50 in order to have integrity and follow through, I think was part of your point anyway, right? That's the point. And so when we talk about quantum leaps, you might say, what distinguishes those that follow as opposed to those that initiate and do the things they said that they were going to do? So those were sort of mantras for me. To be, able to, to be able to say, I follow through and I do the things that I said I was going to do. It's everything from keeping appointments to creating a relationship to completing projects. The people that do achieve quantum leaps in the long run are the ones that follow through on their word. And their word means something that's been verbalized. Many times it's been documented. And then that becomes the, the sort of guideline or the, the lighthouse that 
guides them towards achieving the goal that they originally set for themselves. So it's not a matter of just writing it down, that's it. It starts with some kind of intuition, then passion takes over after that, a kind of a sense of enthusiasm, and then then actually getting on the track and making sure that we follow through and do the things that we promised ourselves that we were going to do. Terry, a quick question about the mechanics of the visualization that we were talking about earlier in terms of consciously creating circumstances. The question is, is there a sequence that is uh, ideal for this, or does everyone find their own way? In other words, I guess what I'm asking is, do you start with the end result, uh, like in the case of the uh, rugby player, was it rugby or soccer? Yes, and, rugby. And rugby. Do you, uh, you were imagining the result first and then reverse engineer from that to the little steps as you call them the small things exactly that point you picked okay. it, you picked up on it because i told you that when that when that particular kicker in the team in england playing for a, for a, for a club called saracens mm-hmm. he would look at the goal first at the goalposts and then he would he would look back at, at the ball and you could literally see his eyes it was it was very funny I saw a South African rugby player as well who was tremendously uh, effective in kicking goal, goals uh, and, and 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 the commentators would say watch his beady eyes hmm. he's kind of scrunched up his eyes and you could see him looking at the goal and then following it back to the ball on the ground and only then would he take two or three steps backwards and 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 then start to kick he went through a routine like that yes same thing happens in golf they look at the goal in fact if you watch jordan spieth uh who's was a phenomenon last year hasn't played as well this year but he actually doesn't even watch the ball he looks at the at the hole and puts the ball while looking at the hole not even watching the ball his body takes over. And That's he trusts cool. his body to do it. He trusts his body to do it. That is really cool. Yes. Amazing. I think we see this in tennis, too, with serving, certainly, where there's time to observe that they're looking to where they're going to place. And, of course, I know a lot of, a lot of yes. uh, what they work on in the serve is, is, is targets, right? Tar- imagining the target and then, and then placing the ball there. Isn't that true? Right. And the thing is, though, of course, uh, you know, many times people are in that sort of future orientation for a moment. And they try to act out exactly what it is and they might miss the ball for some reason because ultimately you have to be what you've got to go back to watching the ball. Hmm. Otherwise, you might miss the ball for some hmm. reason. If a ball's hmm. being passed to us, for instance, we've got to make sure that our eyes are wide open and we're watching the ball go into our hands For in, in those sports. Yes. Don't do that. We're anticipating and not in that moment. In other words, right. if we're in the future moment rather than the present moment, right. and we're going we're gonna to mess up somewhere along the line. I think the exa- but, yeah, the example with golf is slightly different in that instance yes, just because yeah, of the, no the rhythm of it. Yeah, right. Yes, that's correct. So, but but the same thing in life. So you you might ask me. I mean, it doesn't matter what the project is. I was working with uh, with a woman in the last few days to set up a presentation that she's she's going to give, and she's very structured in in the way she operates. Mm-hmm. Amazingly, I, you know, I wish I had that sort of discipline myself, and I'm sure you do too at times. Yes. But um, she said, "How do I start this whole process?" And I said, "Well, it's very simple." Step number one, what is your ultimate goal? There are four speech purposes that we have to consider. When we give a talk or a presentation of some kind, it could be a talk to entertain, a talk to persuade or convince, 
a talk to inform or a talk to get action. Those are four speech purposes. I said, what is your purpose in doing this presentation? What do you want to have happened at the end of the presentation? Do you want to get a big round of applause and walk away flushed with excitement that you did a good job? Or do you want to make sure that these people call you afterwards and say, I, I want more of what I saw today or what I felt today? Which one of those is it? And obviously, while we're doing a presentation like that, we want to be entertaining. And of course, we want to persuade and convince. Mm -hmm. The hard thing is to say, how do I also ensure that I get some action, planned action as a result of it? So what are the last few words that I have to say to my audience that will get them to come back to me? So some people are just so excited just to do a presentation that they'll leave it in midair like that. And people say, oh, what a wonderful speaker. That was a great experience. But nothing happens after that. Yeah. And if we're in business many times, we want something to happen after that. So the idea behind the, the exercise is, yes, the answer, the long answer to your question is, do you picture the goal first? The answer is yes. Stephen Covey always said, start with the end in mind. That sentence really is impinged on my mind. It's burnt into my mind. That's the way that I operate. I'm always thinking about not how are things at this moment, but what action or what results am I looking to, to achieve in the long run that's going to make a difference on this moment? How do I make this moment count? And it's by looking at the end result and saying, this is where I'm going with this. I have a path in my mind. Does it make sense? So powerful. It makes absolute sense. Consciously creating circumstances, a subject that I hope we delve into again on future podcasts. Thanks for listening today. Again, we're the Quantum Leap Podcast. I'm here with Terry Ostroviak. The website, www.quantumleapcatalyst.com. And you can also contact Terry if you're interested in Quantum Leap for yourself at Terry at QLCAT. That's QLCAT. Com. Terry at QLCAT.com. Terry, thanks as always. I'll see you next week. Thank you for keeping the end in mind. See you next week. See you next week.